Tonight we're going to be in Josh 22. Or Joshua 22. (laughs) I'm thinking of Josh back there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Like I know him, like he's my pal, you know what I'm saying? So the last time we saw a focus on the cities of refuge, last time we covered Joshua, the Old Testament priests and the Levites and what they represented, Tonight we're going to see what the whole brouhaha is about this monument that the two and a half tribes erect. Now, I'm going to say the two and a half tribes uh, a few times tonight because there's a group of people that, um, that go to settle on the east side of the Jordan. And those two and a half tribes are Gad, Reuben, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. The other half was on the west side of the Jordan. So when I say the two and a half tribes, instead of saying their names all over again, I'm just going to say the two and a half tribes. So we're going to see this big monument that they erect as they cross the Jordan to go home and what the whole, you know, the, the, uh, the discrepancy is about, controversy. So starting with verse 1. It says, Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them, and therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses gave, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed... When Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they possess according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now, what you have here is the two and a half tribes fulfill their military service. So they're being sent east of the Jordan where they left their families to set up their cities and the livestock and stuff. Um, and they've got to go back there because their military service, in a sense, has been fulfilled. Bashan is a mountainous, mountainous region just east of the Sea of Galilee. That was assigned to Manasseh, if you have one of those maps. Okay, you see Bashan just east of the Sea of Galilee on the other side of the Jordan. Gilead uh, was the mountainous region just east of the Jordan River, which was just south of Bashan. And that was the, divided among the two and a half tribes. Now, these tribes promised in Numbers 32... Uh, you know, they go to Moses and they say, you know, we kind of like the land east of the Jordan. I know God gave us the promised land, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but we got cows and stuff and cattle and goats, and, you know, the grass seems nice over there. Grass is always greener on the other side, right? We'd like to go there. And Moses, of course, is upset because he's like, well, God gave us the land of Canaan. 
And they said, well, you know, pretty much we'll make you a deal. We'll, we'll let our family set up on the east side of the Jordan, but we'll come to the west side of the Jordan to help you fight the Canaanites. And we won't go back to possess our land until we're done fulfilling our service to you and to God. Now, we also see in Joshua 1, which we covered, okay, um, in Joshua 1, when Joshua took over from Moses, they made the same promise to Joshua. We will fulfill our obligation. So they're rewarded for their diligence, their service, and their commitment. Brings me to two points. One, number one, God rewards us for ours. Here, the children of Israel are rewarded with loot. The brass, the silver, the livestock, the this, the that. Joshua says, take it all, go across the Jordan, and bring it back to your families where they've settled. This is your reward for your service, your military service. However, we as Christians, um, we're rewarded differently. We're rewarded with spiritual blessings. Sometimes we would like to hope that we get rewarded with loot for our service to the Lord, but I believe, uh, and I think the scripture is clear, that our blessings are, have even more consequence. They're eternal. I thought of um, a situation at work, and uh, actually this week, you know, I, I've been loving the guys at work, loving the guys that I work with, um, trying to be an example to them, really praying for them, the whole thing, uh, being there for them when, I, when they need me. And, you know, you don't see the fruit that comes right away. And, it, you know, you just want to see that fruit. But actually this week uh, we were at briefing, okay, and there was about 16 cops in the room. And my sergeant goes around from the chief all the way down. He asks, does anybody have anything they want to share? So, of course, I'm the low man as a patrolman on the totem pole, and he gets to me, and he says, Joe, why don't, you, why don't you give us a sermon? Why don't you say a prayer or something? So, man, I seized that opportunity. I got up, I went to the front, and without my Bible, just by memory, I, I shared the parable of the rich fool and basically explained to the guys, you know, you guys are working overtime and getting this and buying new houses and cars, but especially in our jobs, we could, our lives can be cut short. And I pretty much gave a mini-sermon at the police department. So, you know, I tell you what, there's times that I wish I just felt better physically, but I t that, that sermon at headquarters had, has eternal consequences, and it was just really a, an exciting thing. The second thing is, these guys, the two and a half tribes, they keep their word not only because they serve Moses and Joshua, but because they serve the Lord, right? They keep their words to these men, but they're really serving God. And that brings me to my next point. Commitment in ministry is to God and not man. And as human beings, sometimes we forget that. We think that in ministry we serve the man, right? If your commitment to serving Calvary Chapel Crossfield is based on your feelings towards me as the senior pastor, there will come a time, I'm sure, when you don't like me. <laughs> or there's a decision that I make. I know it's hard to believe. but Or a decision that I make that you don't like, and you're going to say, um, and you know what, if you're, if you're committed to serving me or people, your, your service will wane in times of emotional crisis. Understand that? You have an issue with the leadership. You don't like what they said. You have an issue with the church. You know, whatever the situation may be, if it's based on emotions towards people, your, your service will wane. And that's not how we have to look at it. Even me, when I serve the church, I'm serving God. I'm not serving people. And I, I probably have to tell myself that a few times. So, Joe can be a great guy today and be a jerk tomorrow. <laughs> Your service is to the Lord, not to me. In verse 5, I'll read it again. This is very, a great, a great uh, scripture right here, a great 
verse. Joshua says, But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Over 3,000 years since this was written or since this was spoken, it's still applicable. The day we look at attending church or doing our daily devotions or even serving as a chore is the day we're in big trouble, especially to us in, in leadership or in ministry. The day we look at opening up our Bible or doing devotions with our family or praying for somebody as a chore, that's the day we're in big trouble. So this is very key for these people back then, but it's also key for us today. It's the I got is versus I get to, right? If you look at it as I got to do this, I got to do that versus I get to. I get to pray with people. I get to encourage them. I get to teach. How exciting to teach God's word versus I got to. It's a whole different mindset. In addition, another reason why they're warned to do this, and there's heavy spiritual applications here, is we often see a close communion with God during wartime, in this case, or in our case, difficult situations, right? Difficult situations, we have a close communion with God. Even if we're upset with him at times, it's close because we're always crying out to him. We often see a lazy relationship with God during peacetime, right? Peacetime, the children of Israel. When did they get in the most trouble, the children of Israel? During peacetime, right? Because things are going really well for them. And in our, in our uh, understanding, during the good times is when we kind of, you know, the leash gets a little longer. We kind of pull away from God. We kind of, we go longer without those conversations with him. It's usually the hard time where our character is built the strongest. So I must have a lot of character. <laughs> I certainly have a lot of gray hairs. I'm going to be 40 soon. I'm getting a lot of grays. Verse 10. Chapter 22, verse 10. It says, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan on the side occupied by the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. So you have the two and a half tribes, right? They're going east over the Jordan, back home, as we discussed, and they stop and they build this impressive altar. Okay? The way it's described, it must have been something to behold. And the children of Israel get angry and make plans to go to war with them. It appears to me that the children of Israel get off to a good start. They have good intentions. They, they're like, they don't want that, that altar built. They probably looked at that altar and said, oh, no, they didn't, you know, building that altar. <laughs> Maybe they didn't say that, but. Unfortunately, like the children of Israel, though, many people get off to a good start, but they burn out or they fade away. <laughs> kind of reminds me of that famous line from uh, that rock group in the 80s, Def Leppard. He says, it's better to burn out than fade away. Well, I disagree because both are bad. It's true. Keeping an eye on those strong starters out of the gate, what happens to them a year later? 
You know, there's a lot of people that, like in the horse race, you know, boom, the gate goes off and phew, they're tearing out of that, you know, that, that, that's, that, that enclosure and they take off racing down the track. And sometimes people can be like that. Oh, I, I want to serve God. I'm devoted. I'm this, I'm that. And they burn out right from the gate and they don't, a year later, where are they? A lot of people end up like that. But we covered this on Sunday. The Bible says that it's okay to start out with a bang, but it's more important to finish strong. Finish strong, not to start something and let it trail off and lose interest. We also covered two Sundays ago that there's two types of ministries. Remember with Simon the Sorcerer, there's being yielded to the Spirit and there's trying to buy the Spirit. Okay, And there's, there's a big difference between both of those ministries. It's the only ministry, it's only the ministry where we're yielded to the Spirit when we can finish strong. Verse 13. The children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built for yourself an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? But that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord nor rebelled against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on the, all the congregation of Israel? And that, man, and, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So you have this guy, Phineas or Phinehas, the priest, and he brings these representatives from the other tribes of Israel on the west side of the Jordan, they often refer to it this side of the Jordan, which is the west side, the land of Canaan, and that side of the Jordan, which is the east side. So they go to these two and a half tribes and they demand an explanation. And they reference Peor and Achan as a warning against this whole building of the altar. Remember, the instructions were given to Moses, you know, build the tabernacle, build the, uh, the mercy seat. Uh, God will dwell on the mercy seat. That's where the, the sacrifices are made. Uh, the altar there is where you sacrifice the animal and the blood is sprinkled before the mercy seat. And then, of course, later on, the temple was a permanent structure. So what it appeared was these guys build this impressive altar, and it almost was like a competition with what was going on at that time uh, where God had his tabernacle. And they said, you can't do this. God said, absolutely not. It's forbidden. Now, he references two things here. The first thing he references is Peor. If you remember in Numbers 25, this was an interesting situation. You had um, Balaam the prophet and Balak the king. And the king hated the Israelites, and he wanted Balaam the prophet to curse them, right? So Balaam would try because, you know, he wanted the money from Balak, and of course it never happened. 
And he kept going back to Balak and said, listen, God loves these people. There's no way I'm going to be able to curse them. But because he was, you know, this prophet, he had this thing for money. He had greed in his heart. He, sets, he gives Balak a way to set a trap for the children of Israel. He says, you know what, God's not going to curse them outright. But if you could get them to stumble into spiritual idolatry, uh, God is going to judge them himself. So you don't even have to do it. They'll, he'll, they'll make God so mad that he'll do it himself. He'll judge them. So what happens is they put these um, Midianite women, they, uh, I'm sure they have some seductive thing that they do, and they start to draw the men of Israel into it with the Midianite women. Now what happened was 24,000 people died in that incident. Okay, God set a plague. And Phineas, what he did was uh, he actually took a javelin. He was so disgusted by what was happening. There was a, a man with a Midianite woman, and, and they were flaunting their sexuality and their, you know, their their sin in front of the, the, the children of Israel. So actually Phineas took a javelin and he, he flung it, he, you know, and it went through the guy and the girl and harpooned the two of them and killed them. And that actually staved off the plague. Okay? What's interesting is this same Phineas we see here. Right? We see him going to the delegation to the two and a half tribes. So how did Phineas end up um, on one side in, in the wilderness and then also on this side in the promised land. Does that sound like it could be stumbling to somebody? How did that happen? Well, the answer is, you say, well, only the, the answer is Phineas had to be a young enough guy where he wasn't with the generation that, that didn't believe that the children of Israel could, could take the giants in the promised land. So uh, this guy, he had to be young at the time, and now he's probably, I'm going to guess, in his, in his 40s, you know, or late, in mid-40s, something like that. So this is the same guy. Now, Hold that thought. Let's go to Achan. Achan is also covered as a deterrent. Achan was covered in Joshua chapter 7. Those of you who have been here for the Joshua studies will remember that. What happened was 36 Israeli soldiers died at Ai because the previous battle at Jericho, Achan took some of the accursed things and God told him not to take any of the loot, right? But Achan took it secretly, him and his family, and because of that, the next battle that was fought... 36 Israeli soldiers lost their lives, and they, they didn't have to. But it was because of Achan's sin went on the whole camp of the children of Israel. So the point is, you've got the situation at Peor, and you've got the situation at Achan. What do these two incidents have in common? And what do they have in common with this new altar incident? The answer is idolatry. It's some type of bait, okay? Some type of bait to take God's people away from their relationship with him. That's the common denominator here. Today, we could look at the same thing. What is it in your life that lures you away from God? All of us have, Satan knows us all, and he knows our hearts. You know, he, he's been around for a long time. And he knows, it's almost like when you go fishing. I went fishing off the, the piers, and I'm not a fisherman, and I was fascinating by these expert fishermen. Well, what are we looking to get? Are we looking to get fluke? Are we looking to get um, whatever it is you're looking to get? you change the bait on your hook to lure different types of fish, right? And that's how Satan lures us. For some of us, it's health. We'll do anything for good health. For some of us, it's wealth. You know, some of us, even though we're Christians, we still have that desire in our heart, that love of money, that root that's still in there. For some of us, it may be sex. For some of us, it may be just companionship or some other type of comfort. For some of us, it may be status. You know, the, the, the lure of being the top in your field will, will draw you away from God. There's all these types of lures that are out there, just like a bait shop. 
Now, the children of Israel were concerned, okay, the ones on the west side, about rebellion. In 1 Samuel 15.23, it says this. 1 Samuel, oh, I got that under 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15.23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Now, that's pretty heavy stuff. So they're rightly concerned about this whole rebellion issue, which they think that this altar is, is, is trying to imply. The other thing that it has in common is idolatry brought judgment on the children of Israel as a whole. In other words, if you look at the situation with the select few in the PR incident, or if you look at this very select few in the Aiken incident, those two incidents, the common denominator is the sins of some of the people and the children of Israel were so grievous that it brought judgment on the entire, uh, you know, on the entire group of people, right? So, the question is, I wonder if they were really defending God, the ones on the west side of the Jordan, or were they defending themselves? Because, you know, you shouldn't do this because it's wrong. And also, what are you trying to do? God's gonna, you're going to bring judgment on all of us. God's going to be angry at all of us for what you're doing. And, you know, we have to look at that in our lives. Do we defend God or do we defend ourselves? Sometimes we can look at a situation and say, it's righteous anger. I have righteous anger. You know, there's a But sometimes we have to look at our motives and say, by getting this person to stop what they're doing or by um, trying to get an outcome, you say you're defending the Lord, but do you have a personal stake? Do you have a personal stake at heart for the situation? So I do believe that, you know, there was a zeal to protect God, but I also think part of it was, hey, we're all going to be in trouble if you guys don't tear that altar down. Verse 21. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows, and let Israel itself know if it is in rebellion, or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason saying, I got to listen to this, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or, our, or to our generation in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day, to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle."
So what you have is, excuse me, an explanation of the altar. It wasn't a substitute for God's altar, but for a monument of unity between the East and the West tribes. Now, this wasn't a very good idea. The two and a half tribes set up this barrier, or really it becomes a problem that has to be dealt with. So, and then they try to overcome it. And what you see is one bad decision after another. Here's the first problem. The two and a half tribes chose to live on the other side of the Jordan against God's desires. Did God change his mind? Did he say, well, I'll make a, a concession for the two and a half tribes? No. The two and a half tribes said, well, we'll split, the, we'll split hairs here. God wants, really wants us on this side because, you know, he wants us to take over the land and subjugate these Canaanites. So we want to go on the east side, and to make God happy, we'll fight in the war. But that's not what God asked for, okay? So they, set, they, they choose to live on the other side of the Jordan, then blame the indigenous Israel, in other words, the people who are indigenous to the land of Canaan, right? And they blame God himself. Verse 25, your descendants will concede to the Jordan River as God's natural barrier between the children of Israel. You read that, okay? That's a lie. God didn't make the Jordan the division between the children of Israel. The two and a half tribes did. They're the ones who interjected the Jordan River when it should have been a natural barrier to Israel's enemy, enemy, right? And they split up some on the left, some on the right. The second thing is in verse 24, the two and a half tribes have, um, uh, for lack of a better word, a little bit of a paranoia of the indigenous Israel's children. In other words, he says, there may come a time where your descendants will say to our descendants, and our descendants will be in fear of your descendants because your descendants will say, you have no part with us, right? I look at a few situations, whether it's, you know, in the past, whether it's Bill Clinton or, you know, some of the Republicans have done it too. They get involved with these sex scandals. And then when they're in trouble and they're in hot water, they try to defend themselves. They make this mistake. They, they put up this barrier to, you know, to, to progress. And then they, they get upset with the detractors and say, you're dividing the country. Think about the manipulation here, right? Bill Clinton and, you know, some Republicans too, Mark Foley and others, made some very ungodly decisions, very ungodly behavior, and that was the impetus to the problem of other senators and congressmen saying, hey, wait a minute, this is wrong, impeachment or step down or any of those other procedures. You follow me. The second example I'll give you is a pastor who falls into adultery, or who falls into embezzlement. He's caught, and his supporters say, and he says, don't divide the church. Wait a minute. You're the one who caused the problem. You're the one who started the sin. And now, because there's a division, you see this all the time in the news. Well, don't divide the church. Well, don't divide the country. Instead of saying, I was wrong, I did this, I, I'm going to step down and stop the division. They don't do that. They defend themselves. And I see that here. You know, I say this facetiously, but I love it when people start trouble and they don't want to face the consequences for them. And it's even worse when it's in the body of Christ. That's even more reprehensible. So the children of Israel compensate for a bad decision by doing something that seems right, building the altar, right, to, to make up for their past mistakes, and almost cause a civil war. It reminds me of Proverbs 14:12. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Man thinks this is right. I'm going to fix this. But it could be its end is in destruction. Okay. So, you know, we're not to make ungodly decision and blame it on others when they call us on it. And we're not to say, you're not being a good Christian. Because, you know, we see this all the time. Cooler heads prevailed, though. The fact-finding mission 
Phineas and the representatives. It was a fact-finding mission. They dug up as much information as possible before launching the children of Israel into all-out civil war. And there's a good, you know, again, we're going to go to the end and see that um, the two and a half tribes did a lot of things they shouldn't have done when we really go through all the things that they did. But the other people had cooler heads, and they got a lot of facts, and they collected a lot of information and data before they reacted. How many of us have gone off and reacted or accused anyone of something before asking the question? Proverbs 18.13. I quote this a lot. (laughs) He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. What that basically means is, if you've already used two parties that are quarreling, or three parties, or whatever, if you've already made a decision in your mind based on you like this person or that story sounded good, and you haven't heard all the facts, it says that we're foolish and we're shameful for making a determination before all the data comes in. That's what the Bible tells us. People do it all the time, though. They make a determination because somebody said something that sounded good. Even when I have an issue with somebody or an issue with something and there's another side to the story, I actually tell people, but I'm coloring it to the way I'm thinking about it. And I usually tell people, you know, I'm coloring it to the way I see things. There's another side to the story. Because I know my own heart. You know, I'm not always right. Okay, verse 30, the last few verses. And when Phineas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Israel, or I'm sorry, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phineas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us. It says, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So what do we have here? The the explanation of the altar is accepted. But did it become a problem later? I don't know. I looked it up. I couldn't find anything about this altar later. It doesn't mean that that I I I could have missed something, right? Was it worshipped later? Was it used for sacrifices later? Because we know the children of Israel started building altars all over the place. Why not use, if they're in idolatry, use an existing one and sacrifice to it? I don't know. I don't have that information. But, like the bronze serpent, remember Moses? He, he, the children were being bit, children of Israel, by poisonous snakes. And you know God told them to take a pole and lift up the serpent. And if they look at the serpent and they believe that they, they would be healed they would be healed from the poisonous asps, right? And some refused to do it, and of course they died. But many did, and they were healed. But the Bible tells us that later on, even that serpent that Moses lifted up, that whole you know, replica or, or emblem, was later worshipped. People will worship anything, and it goes to show you. There is not a thing on this earth, and it's funny, we look at these stories. You know, We look at the little idols that people had, and they put in their rucksacks, and they took with them, and their little gods, and they would, you know, burn incense to them. And we, you know, we live in America. That's so silly. How stupid. How could anybody worship an idol? But do we do the same thing? Are there things in our lives that we worship 
that are, are, are paramount and first place in our heart. And God's never going to get, he's never going to get better than second place. So, everyone is pleased, it seems, and happy, but was the Lord happy? And I don't mean to be guilty of isogesis, reading too much into the scripture. And I'll, I'll say at times that I have an opinion, but it doesn't mean that my opinion is 100% right. But was God happy with this? Too often agreements are made and people are pleased, but it doesn't mean God is pleased. You see all the time, you know, look at the news, look at Christianity. People are pleased with their agreements. But do they really seek the Lord and really want him to be happy or they just want peace with each other? First Chronicles 5, 25 through 26. Uh, I'll just read that last scripture before we close. It says, And they were unfaithful to the God of their fathers and played the harlot after the gods of the people of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, that is Tiglath-Pelezer, king of Assyria, and he carried who? The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He took them to Halah, Habor, Harah, and the river of Gozan to this day. This is not in here for no reason. Is it a coincidence that the people who set up the border of the Jordan River and stayed out of the Promised Land, were the first ones to fall into idolatry so bad that the Assyrians came and scooped them up. So my question to you is, was God pleased in this instance, or was man pleased? Right? Altar still stood. And sometimes, you know, all is well that ends well, but did it really end well? And that's what we have to look at in our lives. We can have agreements with people. We can have peace with people. We can look at a lot of things in our lives and say, you know what, I'm fine, they're fine, everything's good, I'm okay, you're okay, we have peace, and assume that God's happy with it, but we're not really honoring the Lord. And I think that's what we should get out of this. Let's pray. Well, 